At this time, our pastor, Brother Richard Haley. Amen. Thank you. Blessing to be here again this morning, and we got a little something extra special. Uh, we're going to have a few moments to dedicate Brother Corey and Sister Rebecca's baby to the Lord. And uh, Ray, can you see? Can you see them face that on the floor here in front of the communion? Can you see them? Okay. All right. He's he gave me a thumbs up. And uh, we'll have them, if they will, come up and, and uh, sit in those chairs. Don't forget to bring the baby. It won't hurt Ashley to stand. That'll be fine. I don't have any uh, formal outline for this kind of a service, so we're just going to follow one God's given us, and I believe that'll be sufficient. Uh, I'd like to read for you, first of all, out of the book of Psalms uh, 27, uh, starting with verse 3. It says, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of thy youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gates. So we're gathered here this morning, and I didn't get the exact uh, name of the baby. It's, uh, help me, Annie Grace. We're gathered here this morning to uh, dedicate Annie Grace to a merciful and holy God. So let our hearts sing with joy for the miracle of birth of a child. And certainly the birth of a child is a miracle. And especially this child and her sister Ashley. These children whom man had determined could not be. And as I thought about these young girls, I also thought about Sarah when she bore Isaac a child that in the eyes of man is impossible to be born. And so this morning our hope and our prayer for this young baby is that she shall grow into one that would bring sunshine and hope into the lives of all which, we, which she has to do. But most of all, that she will bring good pleasure to our God. For that's the purpose of all of our creation. And as much as we would lift, lift little Allie up unto the Lord, a greater need is that we pray and lift up her parents unto the Lord. That they might give this child to God and understand that it comes with great responsibility. Mom and Dad has a responsibility to raise this child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to provide for her her physical needs. And in this nation in which we live, that's not real difficult. To provide for her her mental needs, her schooling, her education. And again, that's not a difficult task. Sometimes it may seem so to the parents, but uh, in all in all, it's not real difficult. 
but far more important is the training and the teaching that will form her into an adult that is dedicated to the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may God grant unto these parents to make good and godly rules that she's to live by. And then may he grant unto them the boldness and the commitment to enforce them. And Lord, most of all, grant unto them the patience to bear what they face. And I say that with a little laugh because most of us have been there. There's no uh, greater experience, I guess, than when these children reach their teenage years. And uh, Corey and Rebecca is going to find out. Uh, there's a lot of things they don't know about parenting until they raise children through teenagers. So we come this morning, as we said, to dedicate this child and to encourage the parents in their efforts to raise her correctly. And this is not to be done in word only, but in deed. We need to teach by the way that we live and not so much by what we say. And so at this time, we're going to have a prayer of dedication for Addie, and we're also going to ask God to strengthen the parents. And I would ask, if you would, please, all the deacons and the ministers, if they'd come up and just kind of back me up in a prayer for this young family, that God would bless them in a special way. All I need, guys, just you to back me up here a little bit. Father, this morning we pray for this young baby, God, that's just starting her life. I pray, Lord, that you'll touch her with a special gift from your Holy Spirit. Lord, that she'll always love her family. And God, that she'll always, above all, love you. God, I pray for Cora and Rebecca. God, that you'll help them and strengthen them physically and spiritually. God, that they'll be able to raise this child in a way that would be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight. Bless her and her sister. Lord, help them to grow. Lord, not only in body, but also in spirit. Father, have your sweet way in their lives and in ours. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. God bless you, sister. God bless you, brother. Ashley.
you have your Bibles this morning, be turning to the book of Habakkuk. Now, I can tell you it's close to the back of the Old Testament. If you have a scroll for your Bible, it'll be on page 957. And if you don't have a scroll for you, it'll be somewhere close in that vicinity. When you find Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2, we'll read there in just a moment. But first of all, I would like to say that we appreciate yesterday Brother John and Sister Bridget and Brother Tom Brock and took some young people out and passed out a lot of uh, posters for the revival, and I'm not going to try to name the young people because I'd miss somebody sure as the world, but uh, God's got a record of that, and uh, we appreciate uh, you having done that. All right, if you'll stand with us now, we'll read Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2. O Lord, I've heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. Father, we thank you this morning once again for your goodness. God, uh, we appreciate the opportunity of once again standing here before your people, handling your word. I pray, Lord, that you'll have your way in every heart and every life that's gathered in this place this morning. Father, may we leave this place being able to say deep within our souls, it's been good to be in the house of God. Now God bless this message. May it accomplish what you intended for it to. For we ask in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I thought since we're starting revival services tonight, it'd be a good time just to have a revival message this morning. And uh, we need to understand that revival is not for lost folk. Revival is for the stirring of the children of God. But I will say this, if God's children get stirred like we ought to, lost folk are going to get saved. Because we'll go out and get those members of our family and those neighbors and those friends that we have and we'll convince them of the need of receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior because we've been, it's been renewed within our minds, the great need. And so may we pray hard for revival this week, and may we not only pray, but may we make ourselves available unto the Lord. Are we ready for revival? And if not, do we know what it takes to get ready? What it takes to bring revival to our church? There is an Old Testament recipe that's still just as good today as it was the day it was written. Do I like to go back sometimes? We have all these new recipes that people come up with for foods. And uh, some of them taste pretty good and some of them doesn't. But none of them taste like those recipes from grandma and grandpa. And so we're going back and get one of the Old Testament recipes and uh, just kind of run over it for you this morning. And we're not going to make it a part of the message. But 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, 
God said, if you'll do that, that's your responsibility, then I'll hear from heaven and uh, will forgive their sins and heal their land. And if there was ever a time America needed healing, today's the day. But as we talk about revival, I want us to make it just as personal as we can make it. The request is, Lord, revive me. Lord, revive me. Not our nation or our community or even our church, but Lord, it's me that stands in the need of revival. There's a song that says something like this, Lord, uh, now how's it going? I done forgot. Uh, it's me, O oh Lord, that stands in the need of prayer or something like that. But it's me, O oh Lord, that stands in the need of revival. We need to understand that if we never come to the place we recognize that, we're never going to have revival. Because revival is contagious. If I really get revived, if I really get the spirit that's within me of the, of the Lord stirred up, and I become excited and encouraged as I was when I was younger in the Lord, then somebody else is going to catch that. Somebody else is going to get excited and encouraged. But by the same token, if I rebel against the Lord and I refuse to let him stir me, I'm still going to affect others. I was reading this week and, and looking at some of the things that uh, happened to the Apostle Peter. And there was one time he went, I believe, to the city of Antioch. And uh, it said he went down there and he began to fellowship with the uh, Gentile brother, just having a good old time. And it says the Jews that came with him joined in and they too fellowship with the Gentiles. But there were some more critical Jews came along later. And it says Peter withdrew himself from the Gentiles. And then it says the other Jews withdrew themselves as well. I thought of the time that Peter said, after the crucifixion of the Lord, I go fishing. The other apostles said, we go also. What we do affects other people. And God help us to understand that. And so the question we have to ponder this morning is, do we need revival? Do I need revival? Does my church need revival? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out the answer to that question is yes. Yes, we need revival. We'll never have revival until we recognize that there is a need for it. And if we need a revival, there must be others among us who need reviving as well. How do I get revival? If, if I need revival, then how do I get it? Well, I know the mechanics, don't you? I know that we come together, we sing songs, we say prayers, we'll have an evangelist that comes in and preaches to us, but that's not revival. We call that revival a lot of times, but that's not revival. That's a series of meetings. Unless we have a stirring of God's Spirit in our midst, there's no revival. So how are we going to do that? How are we going to get there? 
the evangelist can't bring it with him when he comes. Now I have to admit, the evangelist needs to be ready. He needs to be studied up and prayed up and ready to go. And if he's not, certainly revival's not going to come. But the revival can be as close to God as he can be, as spiritual as he can be, and still it's a possibility revival will not happen. And so I stand here this morning as your pastor and kindly like this. Uh, Sister Peggy Mulliken invited, uh, and introduced me last week and said, this is my pastor. And I said, like that, just for a little while. But as, as the pastor... At least right now, uh, I'm looking out and I, I, I look at the people of this church and I remember how that it warms the heart of a pastor to see people revive. How it warms the heart of a pastor to see people get involved and start growing. But also I'm reminded how did it hurts the heart of a pastor to see people fall away? And we must be careful this morning that that doesn't happen to us. And maybe the thing that will help us to be stirred by the Lord is to realize that we possess some of the traits that causes people to backslide. Backsliding is a Bible term. The backslider, God says over in Proverbs 14, 14, is filled with his own ways. He's just concerned about himself and what he wants to do. I was thinking about those folk I mentioned that went and handed out revival posters and I truly meant to come and be with them. And I got involved in something else and I, I forgot all about it. But I was reminded that good intentions don't accomplish anything. And so many times people sincerely have good intentions. But they never find the courage or the energy or whatever that it takes to put those intentions into action. And God help us that we be revived so that our intentions will motivate us to do something. So I recognize some of the signs of people as they begin to backslide. And I trust that you'll seriously consider them this morning and see, is there any of that in me? And the first thing that I recognize is that when people come into the church house and begin to fellowship one with the, the other, they don't have that joy that they once had. I've seen people sometimes smile and you could tell it was as fake as it could be. You can tell when somebody greets you, whether it's a sincere greeting or whether it's just a form. And us pastors get in the habit of that, I guess, easy, more easily than anybody else because we're back there and everybody's coming by and we're shaking hands with both hands. And uh, it may get to be routine. 
But I would trust that we wouldn't rely just upon the pastor or the deacons to get fellowship one, fellowship one with the other. But sometimes you can see people start to lose that happiness and that joy over fellowshipping with their brothers and sisters. No excitement over coming into the house of God. Man, that ought to be an exciting experience. This is my God's house. This is my Father's house. And I get to fellowship with Him. I get to worship Him. That ought to be something that would stir us. And when we find that it's not stirring us, we ought to get concerned. John wrote the epistle. In fact, the first epistle that he wrote, chapter 5 and verse 3, he talks about the commandments of God becoming grievous. You know, it's awful easy to get to the place where you just hate to do what God tells you to do. I know I've told this little joke before, and I'm going to tell it again. It's not about the chickens, brother. This lady got up and cooked breakfast one Sunday morning, and she went in and said to her husband, breakfast is ready, you need to get up and come on and eat breakfast and get ready, it'll be church time. And he said, well, I don't know. He said, the singing down there has got to be so it don't bless me anymore. And he said, the preaching's just got to be lousy. And he said, I just don't know whether I'll go or not. She said, you need to get up and go. He said, give me one good reason. She said, I can give you two. She said, number one, God commands all of his children to assemble together. And number two, you're the pastor. (laughs) Pastors sometimes get discouraged. And sometimes the the commandments of God gets grievous to pastors. But they ought not to. And if they're grievous to us, if coming to church has got to be a task, got to be a duty. Instead of something we look forward to and get excited about. That's a sign of backsliding. Now you say, I don't like that word. I don't either, but it's in the Bible. We have to use it. You know, I've witnessed some of those people that have once been faithful to God. And then they've fallen by the wayside and they're no longer faithful. And I watched the decline in their lives. They found out Sunday school is no longer important, at least to them. And then they decide that there's no need to come to church on Wednesday night because they've worked hard all day Wednesday and they've got to work hard all day Thursday, so forget Wednesday. And then before long, they say, well, why go on Sunday night? Two services a day is just too much preaching for one person. I didn't come to Sunday school, but I did come to worship service, and now you expect me to come back Sunday night. And when you get to that place, it won't be long until Sunday morning worship is a waste of time. There's so much other stuff to do. There's fish to be caught, and mountains to be seen, and valleys to be crossed, and people to be visited. I think of 
a lot of excuses I've heard. I'm not going to call any names. But these are real stories, and I could put people's names with them. Had one fella that this was before it ever even crossed my mind to preach. But this fella came to church fairly regular, and he missed a Sunday, and I saw him, and I said, Where were you Sunday? He said, Well, my cattle got out, and I had to fix the fence. And he said, You know, God says it's all right if the, if the ox falls in the ditch on the Sabbath day to take it out. Well, I accepted that. That, that sounded all right to me. Until about two or three days later, I met his teenage son out at the grocery store. And I said to him, I missed y'all Sunday. He said, yeah, our cows got out last Wednesday. Broke the fence. We put them in the barn. And Daddy had a sale he wanted to go to Saturday. So we had to stay home from church Sunday and fix the fence. Now, the excuse sounded, and that's a true story now. That's, that excuse sounded all right to me. But I want you to know God had every bit of that down. He has it down today. He knows every detail about it. There was a, I went to visit a family. They hadn't been to church for a while, and the lady said, you know, I just don't see any way that we can come. said, of course, me and my husband's here, and my daughter's here, and she's got two young children, and and I have to take care of them. And she said, Sunday's my wash day. I have to wash and dry clothes on Sunday. I just don't see any way I come to church. And it was so, you know, the Lord says your sin will find you out. It was just a little while after that, there was an individual in Mothersboro that ran up on the grown daughter that was living with him. And she said to him, I am so tired. I wish Dad and Mama would hurry up and get ready to go home. Said we were down here almost at daylight this morning. And we've shopped all day long. It was up way up in the afternoon. Down in Muffersport. And my fir- first thing that ran across my mind, why wasn't she at home washing? So she could went to church Sunday. Pitiful excuses that we give for not serving God, those are sides of backsliding. Amen. So don't think this morning that because that you're so spiritual, you're so close to God, you can't fall into that trap. I read about that man that I mentioned quite often, Demas. Colossians says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greets you. He was with Paul. Also said in the book of Philemon, he said, Demas, my fellow laborer. But then there's the saddest of sad comments found in 2 Timothy 4.10. Paul writes, for Demas has forsaken me. Demas quit on me. And he quit on me because he loved the world. We are warned in Colossians 2.17, let no man beguile you of your reward. Let nobody steal your reward away from you. Certainly we couldn't talk about a subject like this without talking about the prodigal son. Look what the prodigal son had. He left his father. 
He left his father's servant. He left his brother. The Bible doesn't say, but I'm pretty sure he probably had a mother he left. He left the provision and the protection of the home, and he went down into that far country. And what happened? The devil robbed him of everything that he had. He took all of his earthly possessions. The Bible says he was down eating with the hogs. A Jewish boy wasn't even supposed to eat a piece of the hog, much less eat with them. How low can you go? You know what? He was smarter than a lot of people are. The Bible says one day he came to himself. And he said when he came to himself, I'm going back to daddy. And I'm going to say, daddy, I know I've sinned against you and I've sinned against God. And I'm not worthy to be called your son. But I'd like to be one of your servants. I mean, he got humble now. And he'd come through a great state of backsliding. But when he came to himself, the father received him back as a son. Great men have fallen by the wayside. We've talked about Abraham a lot of times when he went down to Egypt. But Abraham had the good sense to come back to Bethel, the house of God. And so let us take just a moment this morning to consider our own church. How important is it that we as a church stay close to God? In the book of the Revelation, John is inspired to write to those seven churches of Asia Minor. And he likes them under seven candles in one candlestick. They all looked alike, but they were all different. And he said to each one of them, I know your works. I know about you. I know every little thing about you. And then there's a great warning over in Revelations 2 and 5. He said, come back to the place, come back to your first love, lest your candle be taken out of the candlestick, be removed from the candlestick. And I read that in fear Grip my soul. If a church quits doing what God created that church to do, it may continue on with church over the door and the lights may stay on and the water may continue to rot, but God will depart and it'll just be a social gathering. God help us if that not, never happens to us. Lord, revive us. In the midst of the years, help us, Lord, that we feel that stirring of your spirit deep within our souls and in our hearts. And help us to regain the excitement of being fellow laborers with your son. Ask you to stand, if you would, please. Be out in prayer and song leader come.